Good morning. What a fascinating and confusing time to be alive on this earth. <laughs> Feels like an understatement. We're in the midst of all different kinds of cultural earthquakes, political stuff, you know, arguments about a global pandemic, educational conflict, voting concerns, inflation, the drumbeat of war in Eastern Europe, <clears throat> battles over Wordle scores. I had COVID last month, so I definitely felt that little earthquake. And churches are not spared. Churches are being pushed and pulled and shaken. And they're being asked from both inside their walls and outside, what do you believe? Who are you? We're somewhat used to this question at Orchard. Ever since I've been here, we've been asked all kinds of stuff. You know, people say, you seem so loose over there. I mean, you baptize people any which way they want to be baptized. You have women, women, women teaching, leading for the love. <laughs> Thank you. You let all kinds of hooligans <clears throat> join your student ministries. You don't follow the denominational rules. You're committed to Habitat for Humanity, and you know that was started by Jimmy Carter, right? We have Democrats, Republicans, Independents, probably some Green Party people worshiping together. It always reminds me of that line from Ghostbusters. No one else will remember this, but my husband, dogs and cats living together. That's us. We have members, even staff and elders on our leadership board with differing views on hot button issues. We have sinners in our church. What do you even believe, Orchard Hill Church? Who are you? We revel, we delight in being a church filled with people with different perspectives, different views, different opinions, different ideas, different preferences. We think it honors Jesus the one who gathered for himself the most wildly diverse group of original disciples. But we do have an immovable center. And if you've been here these last couple weeks, you've picked up what that is. The truths spelled out within the Apostles' Creed, this is the whole Apostles' Creed, this creed summarizes what Christians have believed since the time of Christ. This isn't some newfangled thing that Orchard made up, right? This is the, the guiding truths of who we are, as well as our mission statement, which you heard in the video that was played before I started this morning. This is who we are. 
As Dave said last week, some of you are familiar with the Apostles' Creed. You grew up, you memorized it, right? Others of you have never even heard of it. We're going to recite it together at the end. We're doing that at the end of each teaching. But for now, for this morning, I'm going to pull out just one small section for us to explore. This is talking about Jesus. And it says, he suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. So the writers of this creed flesh out the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And in this section on Jesus, they want us to understand that Jesus' crucifixion can be dated and validated. The leader of that time was a man named Pontius Pilate, who aside from Mary is the only human named in this creed, Pontius Pilate. He sentenced Jesus to die on a cross. How'd you like to have that as your one claim to fame? I looked him up on Wikipedia, second sentence, he crucified Jesus. <laughs> Way to go, Pontius. Do you, and I want you to notice this, that the only word to describe Jesus' life was that he suffered. That descriptive word, this sentence, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. This informs who we are as a church. So let's use some questions to help us dig deeper this morning. The first question that I want us to think about is who is God? Who is God? How do we understand God based on this section of the Apostles' Creed? We believe that God, the Son, Jesus, God in the flesh, suffered, was crucified on a Roman cross for all to see. He really died, and then his dead body was buried. And three days later, he rose from the dead. But isn't it interesting that an empty grave is not the universal sign for Christianity, right? I'll bet you a million bucks that nobody walked in here with an empty tomb necklace. No, the universal sign for the Christian faith is the cross. So much so that the Apostle Paul said to the church at Corinth, I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. Without the cross and what happened there, there is no gospel, there is no good news. Sin held us in its grip and Jesus, the only sinless one, stole sin's ultimate power, which is death, by becoming completely powerless on a cross. As Pastor Greg Boyd wrote, there's no greater power on this earth than self-sacrificial love. This is the center of our faith. God, the self-sacrificing one, the crucified God. And this means that God understands and knows our suffering, 
intimately, personally, in his body, he felt it, in his heart. We never suffer alone. Psalm 34, 18 said, he is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. No matter where we land on baptism, church leadership, on politics, on race, gender, cultural issues, no matter what our starting word for Wordle is, that's a big deal. We all believe Jesus is God, the crucified and suffering one, dead, buried, and alive again, all because of his great love for us. This is our center. This is our immovable center. And you might be here or listening online, watching this morning, and you don't believe that yet. You have doubts about that. You're not sure. That's fine. In fact, that's awesome. We exist as a church to cheer you on as you encounter and hopefully follow that Jesus. You are more than welcome here. We exist for you. But just know that this is where we land. This is one of our very few non-negotiables. And this truth that God is the suffering, self-sacrificial one, informs our answer to my second question that I want to pose this morning, which is, who are we? Who is God? But who are we? One of the primary secrets that most people carry into Orchard Hill Church when they attend here for the first time is this. The belief that the church and coming to church and being a part of a church is about being good, about being religious, as religious as we can, about being clean and pure and righteous and right, that it's about having fresh, squeaky clean, Instagram-worthy lives. It's, it's, it's about not struggling, about not suffering. And so many... New attenders to Orchard are a little shocked when we don't try to hide our struggles from up front because we don't. Or in our community groups, like real life, we practice being very real and very honest. We are a church then that acknowledges and admits our very real, broken, human suffering and struggling to and with one another. This is who we are. And we've said for a very long time that half of us walk in here on a Sunday morning with a broken heart or turn on the TV and watch with a broken heart. We are a church for wounded worshipers. We are a church for heart-sick hopers. We are a church for the brokenhearted, for the struggler, for the weary, the limping, the discouraged, the scarred, the scared. Why? Because we believe in our core, in the suffering and crucified one. And this is where I drift from my center here. I forget this. 
And so on days that I struggle, I mistakenly think I shouldn't come to church. I shouldn't talk here about my pain or my heartache or my problems, my worries. And I wonder if you ever feel that way too. I wonder if some of you watching from home feel that way right now, like I can't go to church. Like church is only the place we go when we're doing well, you know? Like we need to dress up or paint a smile on our face to hide our scars and our wounds and our broken heart. Or maybe our teenager just got arrested. Man, and our marriage is at a breaking point or we just lost our job and we think, you know what, I shouldn't go to church. I'm struggling too much. What will people think of me? We don't want to be a church that makes people feel that way. That is not going to be who we are. God never rejects us in our suffering. And we shouldn't reject each other. We shouldn't reject ourselves. I believe God is with us most deeply when we suffer. In fact, in many ways, we are more like Jesus when we suffer. Because he is the suffering, self-sacrificial God. He is the crucified one. And one more thing I want to say about suffering that is critical to who we are as a church, and I want you to hear me really carefully here. This is really important. We are grounded in the truths of the Apostles' Creed, and we are guided by our mission statement. And these central access points create space for us to be a church where it is normal to worship alongside other people who have thoughts, opinions, and views that are different from ours. In fact, we are seeking to become a church where we can have hard, honest conversations with each other about issues that really matter, even if we disagree. Our board is starting to have some of those kinds of conversations. Our staff is working on that where we don't label people or pigeonhole them or put people in boxes or reject each other based on political ideology. No saying, if you vote that way, you're not a Christian. Or you can't think that way about that issue and still be a follower of Jesus. See, unity based on similarity is nothing special. Shoot, that was my sorority in college, right? Let's all just huddle around and be exactly alike. No Jesus needed there. That was my friendship club when I was in grade school. It was just me and my friend Margaret. And our sign in my garage attic said, Friendship club, stay out. <laughs> no spiritual focus needed there. Right? Unity, despite our differences, is supernatural. Unity, despite our differences, is supernatural. That is Jesus' heart for the church. And in order to be that kind of Christ-honoring church, it's going to demand from each of us little deaths, little crucifixions. Death to our need to always be right, to our desire to run the show, to remake church in our image, death to my ego, my preferences, my ways of doing things, death 
to my hope that everyone will finally realize how smart I am and how I hold all the right views about everything. Death to the the belief that my tribe, my group, my circle is in and everybody else is out. Death to singing my favorite hymns, to a certain volume on the music, to a certain temperature on the coffee, to only listening to a certain teacher. Death to those things if they cause disunity in Jesus' church. Because we are called, as the Apostle Paul says, to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, think how countercultural this is. In humility, value others above yourselves. Because, because, because there is no greater power on this earth than self-sacrificial love. So who is God? God is the suffering, crucified, dead, buried, and risen one. And who are we? We are a band of wounded worshipers with different opinions, ideas, and preferences, but unified in our belief in Jesus. So, last question, Orchard Hill Church. What does God want us to do in the world? What does God want us to do in this world? Well, this is our mission statement. We exist to help next generations encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world. And that last phrase, to bless a broken world, was chosen very carefully based on the truths I've already shared this morning. We worship a suffering, crucified God broken on a cross to make us whole. And we are wounded worshipers, heartsick hopers, who were then called by that crucified God to embrace struggle on behalf of and alongside others. So we bless a broken world. And we do it by following the crucified God right out into the pain and heartache of our friends and neighbors and enemies and strangers. And we share the love and the mercy and the truth of our crucified God as best we know how. How many people do you know in your life right now who are struggling? Who feel broken by life right now? Why does it feel like there are more than ever We lead not with our strength, but with our wounds. Not with our power, but with our weakness, because this is where God's power always shines. He's promised us this. He told the Apostle Paul when Paul was struggling, this is God speaking to Paul. He's like, my power is made perfect in weakness. So we walk out of these doors into the world, not as triumphant heroes, but as humble beggars, letting other humble beggars know where to find bread. 
quick example. There is a group of about 35 women of all ages who partnered together on Facebook for a month or two each year. This past January, they did it. It's called No Spenduary, where we engage in as little spending as possible. We, we work through our finances, our budgets, and there's the families of these women and, and the women themselves are all over the place. Some are in deep debt, others are digging out, some barely able to make ends meet, and others are thinking more about spending less in order to give more money away. But everyone in the group acknowledges they're struggling and they're learning and they're growing in some area uh, of finance. So for one month, they work together and share honestly and cheer each other on and spend as little as possible. Fellow strugglers, right? And this year, our leader, Kara Vanderwill, learned that Love, Inc., which is this ministry right here in the Cedar Valley, uh, it's a ministry that kind of mobilizes church, churches to help meet real, tangible, serious needs of people. They offer a budgeting class to folks who have had their needs met through their ministry but want to help get a better handle on their financial health, just like the Facebook group, right? Here's another group of fellow strugglers. And when Kara learned that when, when people attend these Love, Inc. budgeting class, as an incentive, they get a $10 gift card for practical needs like gas or groceries at Aldi's. So Kara has this idea out of this no spenduary group's struggle, out of their focus on spending less, she had them pool their resources and that group was able to purchase 150 $10 gift cards to cheer on this other fellow group of strugglers. $1,500 worth of $10 gift cards and they led with their weakness you see, they met others where they were. They sacrificed a coffee or three or a pizza or a dinner out or a new sweatshirt to give other people a chance to partially, well, barely, okay, fill their gas tank with $10, right? Maybe one gallon. This is what it looks like to bless a broken world in the way of Jesus, right? We exist not to beat down a broken world, but to bless it. Not with strength and power, but with God's. Because we believe this is true, there is no greater power on this earth than self-sacrificial love, always. This is who we are. So the culture is shaking, and the church of Jesus has one job. The same job the church has always had. And that is to bring a message of hope and forgiveness, and the restoration of all things through Christ to this aching world. And we must remember, church, that the greatest power in the universe is self-sacrificial love, demonstrated in its most extraordinary form on the cross. The love of God laid bare for all to see. The love of God poured out for us. The love of God, the only force powerful enough to silence evil, sin, and death. Orchard Hill Church, the self-sacrificial love of God is our unifying force. This is it. This is who we are. And we want everybody here to know you are welcome here. And so is the person sitting next to you. And they might have very different opinions and views from you. And we actually hope and pray that is true. Because when our unity 
is based on Christ rather than our opinions, that's supernatural. And Jesus shines through. So we're going to stand and say the Apostles' Creed together before we move into a time of communion. So would you stand with me and recite these truths from the Apostles' Creed? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. If you didn't pick up your communion cup, you can go back and get that now. But I just, I just want to say that there's no better practice than communion in community to remind us that we worship the crucified, suffering God. You hold that symbol of his body broken, his blood poured out. You hold that in your hand. And you will take it into your body as a reminder that the spirit of that crucified God lives in you and lives in your neighbor. And we wounded worshipers, we heart-sick hopers, those of us who are weary and struggling and even doubting, we are welcome at the table of Jesus. For he was broken so we could be made whole. But he was also broken so that his church could be unified. Not around political ideology, but around our belief in the risen one. And so I invite you to ponder those things as you eat the bread and drink the cup. Because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, well, he was in the upper room with his wildly diverse band of disciples. He took the Passover bread and he broke it after he had given thanks for it to his father. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup of Passover wine and he said, this wine is now the wine of a new covenant. My blood poured out for the sins of many. Drink this in remembrance of me. I'm going to pray, and then I invite you to take the cup and eat the bread when you feel led. Jesus, forgive us for dividing your church, your bride, your body on this earth because when we do that 
the world looks and sees and says, see, they're no different than the rest of us. And they don't have a chance to hear your message of hope and love and forgiveness and mercy and encouragement and resurrection. Make us one. Not because we all think the same, but because we believe in you. Teach us what it means to die little deaths to our own ego and our own desires to make things exactly as we want them to be. But help us to remember that self-sacrificial love is the greatest force in this universe. We pray this all in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.